Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. This episode is brought to you in part by Dice Bart. Dice Bard is an online shop with a great selection of dice and sales that rotate every 24 hours. So if you ever have your sights set on a specific set but not a lot of cash, it won't be long till it goes on sale. Running for new players and want to get them quickly acquainted with the different dice they'll need? The Complete Adventures Dice Kit has 29 color-coded dice that are easy to distinguish while reaching hastily across the table so they can roll damage for their fireball spell. Visit DiceBard.com and use the code DMVAN at checkout to get free expedited shipping and let them know that we sent you. DiceBard has everything you need to play Dungeons & Dragons, as long as all you need is dice. This episode is also brought to you in part by Libris Arcana, Canada's premier dice subscription service. Every month you can get a new complete set from D4s to D20s delivered straight to your door. Dice themes are new each month and can be anything your mind can imagine and more. Visit LibrisArcana.com to get a subscription for just $7.97 Canadian each month. Use the promo code DMVAN to let them know we sent you. Be prepared to open up new worlds of adventure with Libris Arcana. Hey folks, welcome to DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about running a game for your students or for a D&D club in a school. Today we're talking to Jane Perella. How's it going, Jane? Good, thanks. Hi, nice to talk to you guys. So how did you get started running for uh, a group of students? I actually um, got landed with running the uh, Dungeons and Dragons Club at my school a little bit unwittingly. Um, I started out, there was another teacher running the club and I had never done Dungeons and Dragons before. I had played, you know, tabletop games and I was familiar with role-playing aspects and that kind of thing, but it was not um, something I was familiar with at all. And so I became just one of his players um, sort of in the spring of one school year. And then I was... I don't know, maybe four sessions into playing uh, when he told me that he was not going to be back at the school the following year, um, which initially I was just like, oh, shoot, that's a an opportunity lost for me. And then I had this like really daunting realization that, of course, this meant that the students who were in the Dungeons and Dragons Club, who were mostly my students at the time, um, would be looking for me to continue it the following year. Um, which is someone who had been exposed to Dungeons and Dragons for about a month was a little daunting. <laughs> um, and so I, over that summer, kind of dived in and did a lot of reading and listening to you guys actually it was one of the uh, it was one of the podcasts that I listened to to kind of familiarize myself with what it meant to be a to be a DM and what strategies could be incorporated into that and how I could, um, put that into what I had seen him do over sort of the end, you know, two or three months of, of the school year. Well, I'm very glad that we could help out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. There were uh, definitely a couple of suggestions in it that I remembering where I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. I have to use that because um, obviously like the only people I have run a game for are sort of 10 to 12 year olds, um, 13 on the high end if they're a little bit older, but they're the only group. So some of the things that, uh, you know, that come up in the average podcast either 
are much easier or much harder, <laughs> depending on uh, depending on what they are and depending on um, the students that you have in the room. Um, so in some ways, I think you have more flexibility running with a group of students um, than you would with adults who are not going to be okay with the with you know you demanding that they sit down and be quiet in a way. <laughs> Most adults don't respond well to that. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of games do you do you run? Are you running like longer campaigns or are they like one off sessions? Like yeah. what, what kind of stuff do you run? Yeah. So when I initially kind of took over doing it, um the way that I approached it was partially just how I was going to be most comfortable with it, but also um I didn't realize at the time it was also quite a lot of work. Um, cause I didn't run sort of like a pre-written campaign. I sat down during the summer and came up with, um, a set of islands, um, was sort of the way that I went about doing that. Cause it, um, it gave me like a self-contained sandbox type world to work from, um, that I could be very familiar with, even if I didn't have a fully written out step-by-step -step campaign, um, and so usually the way that it runs is that we um, run our um, sessions at lunch. And so we have about, by the time everyone's in and has stopped talking and all that kind of thing, uh, we have about 25 minutes in any given session, <laughs> which um, it can be interesting. Um, but I do run a continued campaign. Um, and sometimes the students um, connect into sort of the overarching political situation on this set of islands um, that I call Natari, um, which are sort of Forgotten Realms, Sword Coast-ish kind of world. But sometimes they don't. <laughs> and sometimes they, uh, they start off in paths that definitely are not connected to the campaign and are just things like, well, can I um, one that was quite memorable was the one where they sort of purposely started bar fights um, just because they're, you know, they're young and they're just kind of trying to see what will happen. And so usually I just follow out the legal and physical consequences of their actions because um, that proves to be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so it is a continuous campaign, um, but I'm not married to the idea of it being a completed campaign and ultimately neither are they because it means that it within the the confines of this world it can kind of go where they want it to go or where I want it to go and it's not fixed and rigid to yeah a specific story there is one um but they they vary in how much they connect to that <laughs> Alrighty, how long have you been have you been running this this campaign now um, it is it coming up to two years, I guess. Yeah, about about two years. Um, so sometimes what happens is I teach a a split class of grade six and sevens, which lends itself quite well to bringing in new interest. Um, sort of when they're in grade six, and then they're still there when they're in grade seven, and they're able to teach it to sort of younger groups of students. Um, it initially was students only in my class. Uh, and there were about eight of them. <laughs> and just through younger siblings often hearing about what their older siblings are doing, uh, we on any given day usually have a crowd of about 15. Um, and some of those are 
player characters uh, really firmly in the campaign, and a lot of them uh, serve the role of playing monsters or antagonistic NPCs. And generally, they tend to be younger students, uh, sort of down to grade four, so about nine. Um, and what I'll do with that is I'll give them ca- uh, like cue cards that have basically their stat block on it, and they. Yeah, and they get to interact um, in a way that, like, I think normally as the DM, you would run those various monsters and you would run, like, recently, for example, they were in a a set of tunnels and they encountered a group of children that lived in the tunnels. And I had no intention for them to be um, attackers or antagonistics. They were just kind of there until, of course, one of my students said, wow, these kids are really creepy. Um, at which point they definitely needed to be. Um, and so because we have short sessions, because we have these 25 minute sessions at lunch, I went home and prepared sort of a set of stat blocks for children who are thieves and who are living in tunnels and then pass those out on the following day. So I had 10 sort of non-players um, playing basically as these, as these children who were uh, attacking the player characters. Um, which has proved to be a lot of fun and is generally a lot more interesting than me running, um, you know, five monsters, say, or five antagonists in kind of all the same way, which right. was, is generally what would happen. So. so how do you like, so, so it sounds like you've been running for long enough for some players to have left the game. How do you, yes. how do you handle that? Yeah. It depends on, where we were at when they leave um, because we do get situations of just kind of needing to almost reboot the game. Like you are all sitting in a bar and you're not sure what happened to your friends. Um, I, I actually saw the person who I was sort of mentored by the, the other teacher who initially started this um, as um, sort of trying to do this in a way that generally you lose about half of your player characters. Um, but because they've, they, they have a tendency to get themselves in a lot of trouble <laughs> in, in the world. Um, and they're always wanted and being arrested and um, generally sort of having people after them. So, so it's not often um, much of a leap to go from, okay, you've been adventuring together, but actually a bunch of you have become a liability. Um, And so you've broken off into groups and the NPC who has given you the campaign and who is looking for someone to hire basically is going to go with the ones that are a little bit newer and are not quite as um, unreliable, shall we say, in terms of, in terms of um, the world and, and, uh, and, the 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 law and that kind of thing so that tends to be how i how i start like in a new school year for example it was we start from the position of like okay you've been doing this campaign with um this group of people but because of these circumstances in the previous you know two months that we were playing um they've had to leave because they are causing um causing problems and difficulty for you and it's making it difficult for you to actually um do your campaign and to actually be, um, you know, the adventurer rather than just wanted um, in in uh, this relatively small city in this relatively small space that that we're playing in. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of comforted in knowing that players sort of always act the same as far as like getting into bar yeah. fights and just seeing what they can do. <laughs> like that's that's the thing that 
never quite goes away. <laughs> yeah, no, well, it was it was interesting reading um, sort of information about running with adults. Um, there was one actually podcast of yours um, that I was listening to that someone asked the question of how do you run a campaign with six people? And um, I think the person that you were interviewing responded, um, well, I recommend that you don't, <laughs> which, which as someone who was walking into a campaign of like at least eight, that was quite daunting. Um, but no, I mean, one of the things that kept coming up in, um, you know, things that I was reading was, you know, to be flexible, right? And that um, the players are not, you are not the player's enemy, you're there to make it fun for them. Um, and the, the being flexible part has been very interesting, because, you know, the idea of play, you will never expect what the players are going to do, I think is all the more true when they're 12, um, and when what they want to, like, I had one campaign where we were in a marketplace and we were, um, we were just buying supplies and, and, and they vary a great deal. Cause I had a player who was very into the idea of, I want to talk to people. I want to find out information. I want to prepare for the next part of the campaign. Very, you know, sensible <laughs> things to do. And I had another, um, student who was playing, who, who's, sort of main goal was to cause chaos I think um and he uh his question his question um was can I walk up to the fish counter and start cutting into the fish that are at the fish counter and generally my first question in those situations is like okay why <laughs> but then afterwards is just to say yeah sure okay you try that um and his roles were pretty terrible um and he ended up slipping on fish guts that he had cut uh and very much annoying the owner of the fish counter who of course called the city guard and they all got arrested right so going after kind of that yeah absolutely you can do that but there are consequences to you doing that and then you have to play your way out of it which can which can be um yeah which can be a lot of fun um but they, uh, yeah, they, they have unexpected. I also read a post that was about the idea. I think it might even have been, it might even have been one of um, your podcasts with the idea that um, encounters need not mean attack. Right. And that has never been true <laughs> of a group of students. Like if they encounter monsters, it does, and I had one of them. I had one student who occasionally would try to negotiate, but it was generally after one of her colleagues had um, st already stabbed somebody <laughs> by that point, and it was like, "Well, no, you can't negotiate. They're already mad." Um, so that that side of it, the idea that like you know you don't have to roll initiative right away, you can sort of try to talk your way through the situation, <laughs> generally devolves very very quickly into no, I'm going to smash and grab things and, and run away, which I, I understand is, uh, yeah, as you say, is kind of true of adults as well. Uh, something, but, something that I'm curious about is like, the people that we've talked to so far have run with uh, adults and, or at least, you know, older folks, people older than, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, than the people that you're running with. Yeah. And 
most of the time, I think with adults, there's it's a, it's a lot easier to have that separation between the character and yourself. And so if something bad happens or if somebody else is being mean to a, a character, like the players understand that it's, it's in the yeah. game. Have you ever had to, like, how do you deal with like kids who might not be as good as separating their character's emotions from their own emotions? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I think generally... Um, their tendency is to find, um, for example, attacks from other characters to be quite funny, um, and and that this is actually just hilarious. And and it hasn't come up so much yet that um, they're annoyed at another player. Um, because that player has, for example, attacked them or thwarted them in, in sort of what they were doing. And, and it came up a lot in the part of the campaign where we were using these children who lived in the tunnels and who were thieves, because very often the children were the younger siblings of the player characters. Right. Um, and so inevitably, when the question came, okay, you can attack someone, you have an attack, who do you want to attack? Well, obviously, I want to attack my older brother. Um, <laughs> because, because I can. Um, and interestingly, for the most part, um, the, the general response to that was, was to laugh, right? Was that this was hilarious and that this was... Uh, a perfect response to the situation and the the way in which they attack is often sort of very comical um but in terms of uh students like the, the you talked about the idea of the separation of the emotion and the character um some of the character some of some of the students i should say don't um give their characters that much um, emotion or motivation, but some of them are extremely good at it. Um, and there was one student in particular who um, started out as kind of half being an NPC, like he was a little bit guided by me, um, but immediately understood the imperatives of what the narrative did to his character. And so he was a character who had been raised um, by monks and he had been raised in this monastery and he and the characters go back to it and they find that it's been burnt to the ground and they don't know why and they don't know where the monks have gone um, and this student in particular I was like well okay what do you want to do and he said well obviously I want vengeance for whoever did this <laughs> which struck me as as being um, the perfect kind of reaction for his character who was a paladin as well and for the situation and so sometimes you do get i think just through their exposure to narrative in books movies video games all that kind of thing they have an understanding of okay well this is where this has to go um they've got some of that without, like pop culture knowledge of just yeah like, this is how a story works and exactly yeah. exactly right they have a sense of like this is how narratives work and this is how motivation works um and this is obviously what this character would do um and then you get the characters of course who are just there to cause chaos and those are fun too <laughs> yeah so you said that you the the sessions are about 25 minutes and yeah I think that in 25 minutes, like this, the sessions that I've run so far, because I, you know, I play on Sundays and we'll play from five yeah. to, to nine o'clock. So we've got a couple of hours to get through a yeah. whole bunch of stuff. I don't think I've ever had a, like, even a short battle 
I think my shortest battle was still like an hour long. So how do you manage yeah. to run sessions where you <laughs> actually feel like you've, or at least the players feel like they've accomplished something yeah. in yeah. 25 minutes? Well, I think there's a couple of things that you can do with kids that you can't do with adults. So for example, as a teacher and often as their teacher, um, you can put fairly firm parameters on the idea that like, if you are wasting everyone's time, you will not get to play um, because there's 14 of you and there simply isn't any other way <laughs> that we will get through even half of you in 25 minutes if you are all, you know, sort of being rambunctious and climbing the walls and yelling at each other, um, which does still happen. Obviously, they get excited and laugh and it's it's a lot of fun, but they're they're relatively disciplined at the idea that they they only get to play if they are being if they are listening to everybody else and if they are ready to play and if they're wasting everybody's time, then, then they don't because it's simply, there simply isn't enough time for that. So encounters can last more than one session. That's quite common. I try to get through one turn. Like if I have all of them playing because we're doing an encounter with monsters and they all have monster cards and, and that kind of thing. And there's like 14, 15 of them. I try to get them each to do one thing, at least one thing in the course of the 25 minutes. And that generally does work. Um, they, they can generally get through that. One of the things about the 25 minutes um, is that, yes, you have to be sort of fairly determined to roll through it. But it does also mean that you can, as the DM, that you can leave, you can adapt, and you can come back kind of prepared for the next session in a way that I don't think you can if you are just sat at a table. So the situation with the children where I had no intention of that being an encounter, it was just sort of a, a kind of creepy part of the background um, until one of them said something. And they're like, are we going to have to fight these kids? I'm like, well, you are now, like <laughs> you asked. Um, and it gave me time. It gave me sufficient time and space to be able to go home and be like, okay, how with this group of people, am I going to run this sort of chaotic kind of situation? Um, and I think in some ways, I think the 25 minute time slot, I think if you had a whole lot more time, you wouldn't feel the idea that, okay, I need to get, like everyone needs to play at least once um, in the span of 25 minutes. Whereas because that's, the, the constraints that you have because they've shown up and they're choosing to be there rather than being somewhere else and doing somewhere else that, that you do, you do make the effort to get through everybody. Um, and you do make the effort to kind of say, okay, this person's up next, this person is after them. So they kind of have time space to prepare. Um, yeah. And we do, we do generally get through one play per person per session. And if we just have the smaller group of sort of player characters, we can get through more than one, typically. Um, and I just, I keep copious notes. <laughs> and we go over them at the beginning of the next session, and we pick up from where the encounter left off and uh, and, and go from there. I, f I feel like with a, with a larger group, it almost sounds like having a short session of like 25 minutes, half an hour with this larger group of 10 to 15 players, like that's what makes it work. Because if you had in a way, 10 yeah. to 15 yeah. players, but you were playing for two hours, that would probably just get exhausting and 
be yeah you'd, you'd finish a session and be like cool we're gonna play again in six months <laughs> yeah I, I i think there's some truth to that right i think that the idea and and to be fair like because of the way it is structured because of the way i'm sort of trying to balance um you know i don't want them to to stop being interested and leave right that's sort of not my goal i want it to be fun for them but realistically having 15 of them every single session is a bit of a challenge so you do i do sort of circulate out okay this this session is over and for a little bit we have our six or seven player characters and they're going to move the story forward a little bit and the rest of you are going to watch and don't worry <laughs> there's more there's more for you to do coming down the line but it means that you alternate between having this massive and chaotic encounter and having sort of smaller, sort of more role-playing, more story-based kind of kind of sessions as well. Right. One of the things I'm kind of curious about, because because you're a teacher and a lot of the, the, the children who are playing are your students, have you ever found that it's made like the non-D&D parts of being a teacher a little bit easier because you can kind of tell those students like, hey, if you're not going to behave in class, like I'm not going to let you play in, in today's session? You know, it, it it's interesting because there's a couple of things that happen with being their teacher and with also being the D&D player. One, um, one element of it is you get the ability, like if I'm playing a character, for example, I get the ability to... Um, like shut down their character in a way that I would never shut down a student, for example, um, and a way to be um, to laugh with them in a way that you know in in a classroom just just kind of wouldn't work. More commonly, what happens is that rather than it being a case of of sort of punitive, you don't get to play if if you're being a monkey kind of thing, is that it their abilities in Dungeons and Dragons actually feed into educational parts of it. So, for example, I had um, a project that I had run for a couple of years, um, which was related to the Silk Road when we were studying social studies. And um, it's essentially a role playing project. It's you do your research and you prepare a character. And then for an afternoon, you are a merchant on the Silk Road and you interact with the rest of the students who are other merchants and who have similarly prepared their roles. Um, and after doing and after running games of, of D&D, I started to model the sort of preparation sheet that they had to do on it on a character sheet from Dungeons and Dragons and that the things that you need are pretty well the same. You need to know what your abilities are and what your background is and and what languages you speak and, and all this kind of thing to be able to be a convincing character. And it's, it's fairly apparent that those who, you know, are most keen to do it and who enjoy most are the ones who are most engaged in, in either Dungeons and Dragons or something like drama, right? That, that it actually feeds into a lot of the things that you do uh, in class as well. And a lot of those same abilities are, are very, uh, yeah, are applicable on the other end as well, um, which has been more my experience with it. Are there any other ways that you've found that playing or running games of D&D that you've seen have, in essence, leveled up either your students and the way they interact in class or your own abilities when you're teaching? Um, I think in terms of my own abilities when I'm teaching, I think it goes goes both ways. I mean, there is... You know, the, the the key thing about about a club of that kind is that one of the barriers that you don't 
have is that you don't have anyone who doesn't want to be there um, because they don't have to be. Um, they don't have to be there there because they enjoy it and because I enjoy it and because I make it fun for them. And that mentality in of itself, the idea that it's like, okay, can okay, you hate science or you hate socials. Can we make it more like the things that you that you do enjoy, right? And the things that um are easier because you like them, right? And because you're you're learning through um either playing a game or you're learning through um uh you know, interacting and role playing, um, especially in something like social studies, it lends itself really well to that. Um, but that that mentality of of it doesn't have to be torture <laughs> um, to be learning is is I think really really important. And and one area that I actually went so far as to get tabletop games for. Um, was when we studied, we sort of had a joint unit in, in economics and electricity. Um, and the game that I got uh, a class set for um, was Power Grid, which is uh, running sort of resources for for um, uh, an electrical system and building out electrical systems and the choices that you have to make in it. And it's fascinating to watch students who are not part of D of the D and D who and the D D the students in D and D tend to be louder, a little bit more confident, a little bit um, things like drama and writing and, and those creative processes come a bit easier to them. But it was interesting watching um, just the action of playing a game uh, with students who I don't normally see that with, and watching um, those who could make calculated long distance decisions um, versus those that that was a lot less familiar to. Um, and I think the idea of playing a game like that, that's complicated, that has multiple steps and reflecting on, okay, how does this reflect what you do, what we're, we're learning about actually is, is hugely valuable um, and is something that, that, yeah, we should do, do more myself. Have you found that like after running power grid and you saw some of those those kids get really engaged with that have there been students that you've tried to um entice into the D, D group because you thought it might be a way for them to like open up and and i don't know get more enjoyment out of it yeah it, it interestingly i mean not not in <laughs> partially because i they they are such a large group um there haven't been a lot that i have sort of pointedly said like you should come and join type of thing but it's been interesting to notice that the ones who are quite happy to sit and watch um and are quite happy to just be a part of um sort of the club even if they're not player characters who are quite happy to play monsters that kind of thing um yeah can often be ones that are um, yeah, a lot quieter, a lot less confident, and it gives them a nice, ex exactly that, right? It gives them a nice chance to, you know, be confident in their role as a character or alternatively, um, I think the decision-making thing is huge, right? I think the idea of like, okay, you have these stats and this setup and what are you going to do with it, I think is a um, act actually a, a skill that you don't automatically have. And I think games and especially games like Dungeons and Dragons where you don't have like a lot of 
support, so to speak, in the way that you do for a video game, I think that they're hugely valuable as educational tools and especially for the kids who are a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit less confident and a little bit maybe quieter in in sort of making those decisions in, in, in other areas. So Alrighty. I've been, uh, I've been wondering here, uh, have you noticed um, like improvements in leadership skills among the player, the people who, the kids who come in and play quite often? <laughs> it, it tends to be, it, it depends. Cause it tends to be the kids who are, um, you know, willing leaders in themselves. But actually I should say one of the things that I have always tried to encourage because the group is so large is the idea of one of them becoming a DM um, and splitting off into uh, various groups. And generally the response that I've got for that uh, is no, (laughs) no, we'd much rather, um, you know, sort of stay as a large group and it's a lot more fun. But recently I have actually had um, one of the students who's been playing for a couple of years be willing to say, actually, yeah, if you can, sort of give me the tools to do so, I would be willing to run a game. Um, and that's, um, I think, the the goal that I'd like, you know, them to have, ultimately, at least some of them, is the idea that you can continue doing this and playing this, and, and this is something that you can take with you and run yourself and run amongst your, your friends if, if, that's, um, if that's something that you want to do. And I've had recently a few students express an interest in that which has been which has been exciting that's fantastic it's it's always nice to hear that there are more more people looking into becoming dms yeah absolutely so we've touched on it a little bit but i am curious to hear a little bit more just about how how younger players like what kinds of things they tend to do versus because of the you know, when I'm playing with, like, I just recently finished up a campaign and I'm used to my players being uh, a little bit more like they tend to like try to think through decisions and like I'm able to give them a puzzle and they can sit there working on it yep. for a while or they'll be really tactical in combat, like that kind of thing. Like they're, I guess, a little bit more grown up about it, but I'm curious to know how yes. how younger <laughs> players tend to play the game. Because you've already mentioned they tend to be a little bit more... Yeah. slapstick i guess is the, the the good term for it yeah i would i would almost describe it as cinematic is almost sort of how you might describe it like especially in a fight you might have care have sort of characters who say things like it's like okay well can i like okay here here's here's a good example of this i had they they were going through these tunnels and they had a pool of water that they encountered and the the grade seven students who know me and have played D with me for a couple of years said okay guys there's definitely something in the water <laughs> like there's no way there there's no way there isn't um there definitely is something there and one of them and their their response to a threat is always far larger than it needs to be so their response to this they didn't know what it was. It was a pool of quippers, little little fish type things. But their response to this was to electrify the water. In, in this gives you a sense of how they play. It was to electrify the water fully and to kill everything in it. And they succeeded in doing that. But now they had the problem that in the process of doing that, they had heated the water to the point that it was difficult to cross. And so one of them decided 
that the way they were still going to go across, they, they, and they did not have to, by the way, they could have turned back and gone a different route. That was something that had already happened. Um, but one of them decided that the method that they would use to cross this was to jump like between the walls of the tunnel all the way across. <laughs> right. So, and, <laughs> and generally what I, what I do with a situation like that is, okay, fine, that's not impossible, but it is very, very hard just because physics, <laughs> right? And your character is very large and wearing a whole lot of armor. So sure, give me a dexterity and a strength roll and see how you do. Um, and, and I generally preface with it like, with like, are you sure? Is this something that you really want to do? And and we just play out the results of it. And of course, the character in question fell into the pool of boiling water and got terribly scalded. And <laughs> it was sort of results that were predictable after that. So that tends to be how they play is that there is the overkill is underrated tends to be their sort of main um, approach to this. There are, <laughs> there are a variety of them who have realized as well that that they need not attack to that their action need not be an attack it need not be exploration it can just be messing with the world um i have one player for example who at every available opportunity um attempts to seduce the npc who has given them the campaign <laughs> um despite the fact that this has not worked out for him in various violent ways um but it, it, it's almost the the process of uh just seeing I think some of it is seeing what I will do as well because they do know me and I I am their teacher and they're just interested in okay if I roll a one what's gonna happen um a little bit and I have one character as well who in every situation uh and it doesn't matter what it is he does a dance uh, and he's and he says and and <laughs> it's a charisma role. It's a it's a you know persuasion thing. Um, and the annoying thing about it is that it's often really <laughs> successful. <laughs> and so I have to kind of come up with okay, why did your doing a dance get you out of this situation that you're in? Which is part of why they do it, right? It's part of the fun for them is is just seeing okay what you know what happens if i do a dance in the middle of the bar fight type of thing and those elements can be yeah can be a lot of fun with it um so yeah i would say that that for younger kids the two reactions are overkill for whatever the situation is or what happens if i do this <laughs> a little bit Puzzles tend to work less well. I have had players that are really good at them, but I don't at the moment. <laughs> and and part of it too is is like aside from whether or not they'd be good at it, it is not what they're there to right. play, right? And you get and you get used. I'm sure you do with adults as well. You get used to that idea of like what are what is your what yeah. makes you happy when you're yeah, you're here. DMing for your table and not yourself. So yeah, if your table doesn't like puzzles. Just really quick, though, I I absolutely love the, the the fact that it doesn't matter what age they are. A DM saying "Are you sure?" as a warning sign still gets ignored <laughs> by your players. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter. No, it absolutely doesn't matter. And I mean the two the two questions. Yeah, the two questions I asked are the why and are you sure. Um, and sometimes for the are you sure, I definitely like have already decided what is going to happen if you fail. And sometimes 
because like the dancing one, because it's come out of left field and I'm like, uh, uh, okay, yes, I suppose you can. That, that, and, and what, what does happen sometimes is that you do get kids around the table who throw out suggestions as to what the consequence should be of failing a particular skill check, which can be quite interesting as well. And I do sometimes go, actually, yeah, that thing that that kid suggested, that sounds appropriate to, to what you just did. But yeah, definitely, they don't, they don't heed the very clear warning of... And I mean, we had another one where like, they overthink it as well. So it's a simple, like we're walking through a tunnel. It's like, you have two options. One goes to the left, one goes to the right. Which one are you going to pick? And they argued, you know, for a substantial period of time, trying to essentially psychologically analyze how I was messing with them. (laughs) I've had players do that to me too. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And they're second they're second guessing themselves and they're like, no, she wouldn't it would definitely be this one. And there's definitely something horrible down that and of course there's something horrible down both of them, right? Right? I mean, that's kind of that's why we're here. It's yeah, it's just different flavors of horrible. Yeah, it's different flavors of horrible. It's gonna be something different, but it it is absolutely you know, it's, it's there's not nothing down one of them, right? So it's uh it's kind of fun to see that process of of them getting getting through okay how do we make a decision as a group right as well which is which is interesting at that age right and you have ones that are better at kind of navigating that uh, and other ones who just throw out you know who just run into the the situation without kind of considering what what's going to happen so one of the things i'm curious about is what kind of reaction have you gotten from the parents of these children like have there been any parents worried about like doing this satanic panic thing are there any that have been like really excited no i mean i think i think i have had i did have a dad who sent in a first edition dm's guide oh wow yeah that was like a relic right you sort of look at you're like whoa that that was his right that he he had been a player you know back in the 70s kind of thing and he sent in this with his kid and i was like oh can i just like peruse this very very gently um so some of them you know come by it honest um and they they're from families that this actually is something their parents have done sometimes it's just a, their parents aren't quite too sure what it is, but it's it's a lot of fun. And I think too, I mean, I haven't had parents react particularly to the content of it um, for two reasons. One, I think, is that I'm aware of where that boundary is partially, but also um, I think by comparison to any kind of video game or video content that kids at age 12 and 13 have access to I think it's pretty tame and it's it's always interesting because I do discuss you know often with the same group of kids sort of the video games that they're playing and I'm always a bit surprised (laughs) (laughs) as to sort of what and and I mean they're they're and they're it's interesting because they're right on that age where they're not quite adults but they definitely want to be and they're definitely pushing into content that is yeah, a little bit more serious, a little bit more violent um, and that kind of thing. But that just is, you know, by by comparison to that, the the content and the, the narrative that they're doing at school is is pretty light, I would have said. Alrighty. Yeah. Yeah. 
I had a question, but it's just, uh, <laughs> I guess real quick, be talking yeah. about the, the content and, and the kind of stuff that you're running. Has there any ever been a time where like a student has suggested something where you've had to like really quickly shut it down? Shutting down. Oh, that's an interesting one. Cause they do do that like in class, but they have not done that in, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of a situation where that actually happened in a D and D session. I had a couple students at one point making uh, sort of jokes about rape between two characters. And they are at an age where they are testing sort of limits of humor and that kind of thing. And that's one that if that had happened in class or if that had happened in a club at lunch or in Dungeons and Dragons, my reaction would have been the same. That, you know, there are certain like, you know, if they're making they're making jokes of, of all kinds the rest of the time, but there are some areas that we're not going and the the sexual violence is one of them. And they are at an age where it, it comes up, right? And and it, it becomes part of part of the discussion and it just you know, and, and I don't shut it down to the extent of simply you're not talking about that. We we shut it down to it's like, do you know why we're not talking about that and why we're not making that a part of what we're doing? And because if you don't, we can talk about it. <laughs> right. Right. And because I because I do teach them a range of subjects, including health, it's a it's a conversation that that they know I will have with them if okay. it comes up. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for, for coming yeah. on. But before we end, uh, I think yeah. Jesse has one final question. Yeah. What's one thing that you know now about running for the D&D club at your school that you wish you knew when you started out? Oh, I think <laughs> the thing that initially pops to mind is the advice to run with a smaller group was fairly sound. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I think um, I think the idea of it doesn't have to be as complicated as I think I made it. Um, I, my own personal uh, bent be with being someone who does, who, who writes and someone who does create worlds um, outside of d d is that it had, is that the way I was going to be most comfortable with it was to, was to create it all myself and sort of immerse myself in that world. And one of the things that I've told the kids who are interested in being DMs is that there's a lot of content out there and there's a lot of pre-made campaigns and there's a lot of pre-made dungeons and there's there's a lot of things that they can uh, start from. It doesn't have to be sort of all uh, all you and all created from you and that there is uh, you know, if that's somewhere you want to go eventually, that's great. But there's a host of people who have done great stuff and who have, you know, um, done great um, campaigns and dungeons that are already pre-made and available to you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. It's so awesome to know that there are people like you out there running for, for young students thank and you. getting them into the hobby. Yes, thank you. No, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And thanks for reaching out to us about coming on the show. It was absolutely it was really exciting to get that email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it was great. And and as I said, your um your podcast was definitely one of the ones that early on was helpful to to me as well. So happy, happy to do that. I hope we hear from more teachers who are who start up groups like this because I think it's just it's awesome and it's it's something that yeah, I've I think I've talked before about just how awesome D and D is and how games like this can help. I wish I had a club like this in school. <laughs> Absolutely. And I wish that there'd be something like this in, in my elementary school, although might have been a little bit 
trickier because it was a Catholic elementary school. So they might have had some problems with it. <laughs> might have been might have been more objections to it. Yeah, no, I think it's it's great and it's um it's been a, a real learning curve for me, but it's been a, a lot of fun. So I would definitely encourage it as well. Alrighty, uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug before right. we wrap this up? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mentioned the idea that I am um, a writer as well, um, and so. One of the things that I write is uh, is a novel called The Steel Lady uh, that uh, is now self-published. It's available on Amazon. Uh, and it is for um, sort of similar age that I teach, so sort of tw- uh, 13 and up kind of age. It's a young adult book about um, the analytical engine and the invention of sort of the first uh, mechanical computer. So that's kind of part of what I do when I'm not teaching. And Well, that sounds really awesome. Yeah, it sounds Super yeah, cool. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thank you to Haley Boros for our cover art. And our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Also, I guess a bonus thank you to Haley for designing our business cards and ordering pins for us so I didn't have to figure out any Photoshop stuff. Yep. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver. You can find us on Facebook as well. Uh, we're on Patreon. You can find Sean at Sean P. Hagen on Twitter. You can find me at Jesse the Red. Yeah, and our Patreon for just a dollar a month, you get access to episodes a week early. Yeah, please, uh, you know, if you like the show, please consider supporting us there or uh, also big help would be giving us review on itunes it helps people find our show it's it's great if you have the time to do it and i think that's it oh we are part of the cave goblin network right check those guys out there's a bunch of great shows on there yep thanks so much for listening bye bye this is a cave goblin podcast for other podcasts like this visit cavegoblins.com we hope you have enjoyed this program